At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Has anybody here experienced the power of that? That he's never let you down? If you haven't, you're, you don't know him. Because he's always working. He's promised to work in every single one of his children's lives. So I'm telling you, if, if you just haven't experienced that, that, that time when it's like your back's up against a wall, and you know how this is all going to work out, and then God just makes a way and he provides powerfully, I encourage you. Go to him and say, God, I don't think I know you like I should know you. Would you reveal yourself to me? Because he is a powerful, way-making, miracle-working. He's a God that is today the same as he was when he was splitting the Red Sea, when he was feeding people every day with man. That's the same God. And he's doing bigger things than that. I mean, sure, splitting the Red Sea, that's kind of cool and all. But nothing's compared to the work that he does in our hearts to transform us. Our whole nature is changed. He's he's good. He's good. Well, it's a joy to be with you today and to take God's word and kind of open that and allow his spirit to to touch our hearts with it, to help us understand his message for us today. So I hope you have the scripture with you. If not, we'll be on the screen, or you can get a Bible off the table in the back. Feel free to use your devices. We're going to be Romans chapter 6 today as we continue our series. And here's my stand. God's given me a, a pretty interesting experience. I think it's pretty interesting. I feel very privileged uh, to have had it. Um, but because of our missionaries and our church partners, I've had this cool experience of visiting the country of Ukraine like a dozen times. Um, it's a beautiful land. It's, uh, it's been a joy every time I've been able to, uh, able to be there. But I don't know if you know the history of Ukraine. Um, it's, of course, it was part of the... USSR, the Soviet Union, for 70 years, part of that communist regime. Um, and I grew up re- learning about that hard rule of the Communist Party in that, in that region. I learned about the Iron Curtain. Uh, we were experiencing the Cold War, as many of you know. Um, and, you know, heard amazing stories of people like Brother Andrew Uh, of Nikolai and others that, with that great courage and passion for Jesus, would smuggle Bibles. Um, What I, as a little kid, envisioned under the Iron Curtain, somehow they got under that curtain with their Bibles, but it was just a, you know, just a word picture. It wasn't a literal Iron Curtain, but there was, it was illegal to have scriptures. It was illegal to be in churches, to gather for worship. It was illegal for you to talk to your children about faith. And so for 70 years, the country of Ukraine lived in a drought of gospel proclamation. 
And then in the late 80s, you saw the, the USSR begin to crumble and that stronghold begin to loosen. And it was in 1991 that Ukraine declared their independence from that Soviet rule. And things immediately changed when you go from a Communist Party rule to a declaration of independence with a constitution that declared democratic society. It became a new country. And the doors began to open for the gospel. And our church, like many others in the, in the West, uh, saw that as an opportunity to take God's word into a place that was uh, starving for it. And so our church in Port Huron... Uh, immediately, I think it was 1993, uh, sent the first team uh, into Ukraine, and we began to partner with a couple of churches there. Uh, I had the joy of, of being a part of constructing churches that could now exist after 70 years of their being illegal. Uh, and in those years of traveling there and being with them, it was, it was interesting because though they were a land now with religious freedoms, it didn't really feel like it. Because when we were there and we were out in the streets in public, we were told to, to keep our, our, our voices to a whisper. Because the, the common response was not all that we as Americans maybe thought it should be. We weren't being welcomed like we kind of thought we should be, I guess. When we were involved in the building process, there was all types of opposition that these churches would go through, and the, 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 the people in the villages and the cities would react harshly towards them. I, I had the privilege of staying with one of the pastors, and he was also employed in the Air Force of the Ukrainian Air Force and lived on the barracks. And to, in order to get to stay with him, we had to walk around the town and through the dark of night and climb over fences and, and move through quietly, stealthily through uh, the, the, the compound in order to get up to his apartment. And we couldn't talk in any of, any, any of that journey and, until we were in, and then we had to keep our voices down. It was, it was a, a crazy time. Well, that was 1993, 1994. And then when we went back in 96, it felt a lot different. In 97, even more so. And then I think my last trip was in 2016, where you would even imagine that just 20 years earlier, there was such a stronghold in that free country. So here they were, Declaration of Independence. There's freedom. There's religious freedom. You can have Bibles. You can have churches. But can you really? It took them a while to grow into that true embrace of that freedom that their constitution now proclaimed. Well, in Romans chapter 6, we get a bit of that kind of experience as Paul describes uh, for us the power of the gospel that changes our lives. We're in the middle of this conversation that he's been having with the Roman church through his letter. He declared to them, if you remember, that we are made because of our faith in Jesus and faith in his work, that we have been declared by God as right with him. That work of justification is that judicial declaration that you, though previously were an enemy of God, now you are right with him. You're united now together. You've, been experienced, you've experienced peace with God. 
And then that identification with his death and resurrection is a proclamation of who we are. Last week we talked about the, the identification in his death as our baptism demonstrates his burial. We identify in his resurrection as we come out of the water to demonstrate new life in Jesus. So we previously were living under the rule of sin, the, the heritage of Adam, but now because of the faith in Jesus, we've been set free, and now we have a new king. Now we have King Jesus as our ruler, as the one who reigns. He's a good king, a right king, the one that brings peace and joy and abundant life. But we've all felt the tension that despite the change that's happened to us, despite being new in Christ, there seems to be this power that's trying to master us. That sin is a power that seeks to master us. Even though scripture says you've been declared free, you've been declared right with him, set free from the power of sin, doesn't it sometimes feel like sin still has some power over you? Or maybe I should say, doesn't it still seem like sin still has power over your husband <laughs> or your wife or your child? That You were there at their baptism. You were there. You heard them declare their faith in Jesus, but now you're there when they're giving you that attitude. And you think, I thought they were new. What's... Where's the change? What's with the remaining rule of sin in their life? That's what Paul presses into in these next few verses, starting in verse 8. And like a good teacher, you will see Paul kind of repeating the importance of our identity. We've died with Christ. We also live with him. And you'll see that as we read it. But just in case some of you are starting to doze off and to show respect for his word, let's stand together. I'd like to read this passage in its entirety, and then we, we'll, we'll digest it uh, verse by verse. So let's read together. Romans 6, verse 8. I'll read out loud. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for, unri for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Father, reveal to us through the power of your spirit, Lord, what you are saying to us in this passage. Help us to embrace the power of the freedom that is ours because of Jesus. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. There's some very important concepts that 
that you saw in this as we read that. First of all, we know that Christ will never die again. Like no one else in history, Jesus will never die again. Now, we know that Christ was raised from the dead. But when we see in this passage this emphasis on his dying once, we can see that there's something pretty powerful he's trying to commend to us. That his death completely fulfilled the payment that was due. This is emphasized throughout the New Testament, so there must be something to this. As Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, the, that he might bring us to God and put, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Or as the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 9, Christ is our high priest who entered into the holy place once for all, securing an eternal redemption for us. So this must be big if it's said throughout the New Testament that Jesus died once for all. Why is this so key? Why is this so important? Well, for one, it helps us understand that the dominance over sin was complete. That there's nothing more that has to happen to demonstrate or to complete this victory over sin. That he died once and once was enough. This, this expresses this reality that, that his grace is truly greater than my sin. Even though I sinned again. And my sin this time was even worse than my sin last time. That his death that happened before was big enough to cover even this terrible deed that we just did. That his grace demonstrated through his death is greater than anything we could do against Christ. It also reveals that I don't have to do anything to perform in order to satisfy Christ the wrath of my God. I don't have to like meet halfway. Otherwise, God's got to do something more. He says, I've, I've completed. This is truly what separates Christianity from any other religion in the world ever is that God in sending his son Jesus completely provides for the penalty of sin. Every other faith, you've got to do something to meet him. You've got to take a pilgrimage, or you've got to do these certain things and perform these oaths, or you've got to perform these sacrifices or wave these flags, or you've got to do something. Maybe you've got to go to church, and you've got to do this certain thing. Every other religion besides the free gospel of Jesus is taught in his word. Everything else, you have to do something where God says... I sent my son and he died once for it all. This is different than my medical payments that I'm still making. Where I pay these medical providers my September payment. Whew, we made it. Made it through another month. And then October comes. So I write those medical bills again. And I send them off. Whew, made another month. And then November comes. And I got to do it again. 
It's nothing like that. It's nothing like even the freedoms of our country. I mean, don't you celebrate that we live in a land where we have religious freedoms and we have a sovereignty as a nation? Aren't you thankful to be living in America? Where in 1776, their forefathers declared that we would be a sovereign nation. We declared our, our independence and our nation was formed. And, and people fought with George Washington at the helm. They fought for our nations. Aren't you thankful for the lives even that were spent in payment for our freedom? But it isn't incredible that every generation can say, yeah, our generation gave too. Some of you probably have family members. You have friends that have given their lives to protect the freedoms that we keep paying it. We keep paying for the freedom. Even recent times, we see soldiers whose lives are, are taken in the cruelty of war because we understand that freedom has to continually be defended and purchased. Well, with Jesus, this is completely different. We don't, we don't have to defend our freedom in Christ. He's provided it all. He's that strong of a king. When Jesus gave his life for our salvation, it was the one purchase that, was, that would satisfy for all time our standing with God. So Paul writes to the people in Rome, some were in a pagan religion that were just used to continue to try to satisfy the, the deities in, of the land, or he is writing to a number of Jewish believers that every year they trust the high priest to bring the sacrifice into the temple and again perform the sacrifice for sin, for the atonement of the people. And Paul says, no, it's done. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it doesn't land as powerful in our hearts as it did to the original leaders because maybe we've become too used to this. Maybe we've become too familiar with this reality that it's paid for. I'm his. The adoption has been finalized. I'm in his forever family. There's nothing that can threaten that. No matter what someone says about me, no matter what they post on Facebook, no matter what the police might say, no matter what I might feel, that his declaration is final because he died once for all. We say this, and Paul tends to, seems to say this, so that you would know that your continued struggle with sin does not indicate a limit of Christ's death. How many here would admit that the person next to you continues to struggle with sin? Can I see your hand? <laughs> okay, how many would admit that you continue to struggle with sin? Can I see your hand? Oh, you guys are so much kinder than I thought you would be. <laughs> we still struggle with that, but don't think for a minute that that's because Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. This full and final death of Jesus then should affect how we live. When you come here and worship with us, we're going to talk a lot about the gospel. We're going to talk every Sunday 
We're going to sing about his truth that he has set us free. We're going to sing Christ, my cornerstone. He's my living hope. We're going to say, free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of the redeemed. We're going to sing that often. We're going to declare it. The songs will change, but the message will be the same because we need that continual reminder that we are free. We are redeemed. His death is sufficient. His grace is greater than all our sin. Jesus paid it all. That's what we do as Christians. We continue to declare to ourselves the gospel because there's this sin that keeps creeping up and making us think, ah, maybe. He says, no, we've been set free. But with that comes a responsibility. And that's what we see in verse 11. We see that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Not only has it been proclaimed and provided, we need to Claim it for ourselves. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Verse 11 says, You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He reminds them, We also have died to sin. Once for all. Remember, you're united with his death. What was his death like? That was once for all. You're united into that death to sin. What's your death to sin like? Once for all. Every one of you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you have experienced death to sin. It's not like death to sin, but then you start living in sin again. Oh, now you've got to die to sin. No, in your standing with God, that was final. So embrace that identity. Embracing that identity, considering yourself dead to sin then, you don't let sin come in. You say, I'm sorry, as we, as we talked about last week. No, I'm dead to you. I don't want to know you. I, I don't want you near my house. I am dead to sin. I'm not going to let sin reign in my heart. Why? Because I've died to sin. That's been declared. That's final. But the Christian life is a progressive journey of applying this truth that we are dead to sin and alive to the joyous satisfaction of new life with Jesus. And the more we mature, the more we push away that sin that's trying to have mastery over us, the more faithfully we live according to that identity that's been secured in Jesus. So Paul uses this political reference. He says, therefore, let not sin reign. That's the king language. Don't let sin be the king in your mortal body. Why? Because that king was conquered. Don't pay your taxes to England anymore because that king was conquered. We have freedom, so we don't have to keep paying our debts to the king that was formerly our ruler. Or in Ukraine, we don't have to try to whisper and don't let people know you're a believer because you have a new constitution. You have a new rule now. You're not under the hard, atheistic, communist rule of the land that was previous. Now you have freedom. So begin to live in that Freedom. We had a former ruler. 
That ruler was named Sin, and he would lead us to these various conclusions. But he's not king anymore. So it's time to, it's time to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus, who is the good and righteous king in my life. So in my previous life, when sin reigned, I would hold grudges. When people said something against me or when they didn't say something to me, I would hold grudges because that's what we do in this kingdom. But I've died to that. Actually, I live in this kingdom where Jesus, the one of forgiveness, who God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me, now I can be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another because I have a new a new king. In my previous life, when, when the king of sin was ruling, when things were bad and when pressure would come, I could utter bitterness and profanity and get out of my way, blah. And that made sense because that's who the king of my life was. But that's not, how I, that's not who I am anymore. Because there's been a war it took place 2,000 years ago where, where Satan tried to conquer Jesus and thought for a moment he had won, but he lost. And he was defeated. And now the living, reigning king is Jesus, the one who said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The one that says, if you allow me to live in your house, in your, in your heart, there will be love and joy and peace and goodness and mercy and patience and self-control if i am king that's what will if he is king that's what will come out of my life if i'm considering myself dead to this ruler and alive to this one and don't you wish you could just flip that switch and all old habits are just gone oh this is part of the sanctifying work of the holy spirit where he says now you've got a part and i've got a part my part, God says, and Peter will talk about this in, in, in later chapters, so I can't wait to get there. But know that God's presence comes to live inside of you and empower you to live all this out. But he says, but you need to present yourself to me so that I can work through you. But your role is to acknowledge yourself as dead to the old king and now alive to the new one. I don't live in that kingdom anymore. I live in this one. This one wears me down. This one builds me up. This one, I lose my sense of purpose. This one, I find it. This is where I, I can't experience abundant life, so I keep scrambling and clawing, trying to find some joy. Here, I can just rest in his presence, and I find that it's a gift from the king. Our former ruler of sin has been defeated, and we've received a new ruler. So consider yourself dead to the old, and number three, present yourself to God. Listen to this language. I love this. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, he says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for, for righteousness. Sin will have no more dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. 
we lose the tense of this in the English language, but that, that concept of presenting is a, it's not a one and done presenting. There's the, the oris tense that uh, he uses to describe the, um, the death that's happened. You are dead in Christ. You're dead to sin through Christ. That was one and done. But now when he talks about, so present yourselves as instruments for righteousness, it's more of the tense of continue to present yourself. Continue to present. Every day you present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. And that word for instrument was, was literally used by Homer in his writings to describe the instruments of war. So Paul's embracing this word. To say, you know these weapons that one time were used for destruction? Now present them, present yourself as an instrument for healing. Those things that once you used, your body you used to, for your own ambition, now use that same body, give it to God as an ambition to work in his kingdom. And do that every day. And do that every moment. Because sin is a ruler who's trying to master you. So you have to faithfully and consistently present yourself as an instrument for life. Stop using your lives, your body, your mind, your time, your intellect, your finances as instruments for the old king. Instead, use them for the new king. This grace of God that is strong enough to break the mastery of sin supplies us with the power to live for God. That is grace that is so abundant that conquers sin is just as abundant to empower us to live for him. Now, in several different counties, um, there's this exciting event on the county fair called a demolition derby. Have you ever been? How many have been to a demolition derby? All right. Rumor has it there might be one in town coming up soon. I can't imagine it, but it sounds like it might happen. But there's, there's this, it's this kind of a cool thing that as a, as a dude, it it's, it's kind of, sounds kind of fun. Right? Where you think, I've got this old jalopy. All it does is run. That's the only thing it can do. Sweet. Let's take it on one final drive. And so you take a can of spray paint and you put a number on there. And then you bring it into the arena. And there's other dudes or dudettes that have this jalopy with, that they believe that it's only good for one last drive. It's old. It needs so much work. So let's just clobber it, right? And so the horn goes off and then you spend the next several minutes trying to smash into somebody or avoid getting smashed by somebody else until there's one car left running. There's another thing to do with old cars. And some of you have done it. And I've seen some of your pictures, I've seen some of your handiwork, where you've looked at that old vehicle, and you said, yeah, I could barely run, but I see something, I see something there. 
And so you take that car where somebody would say, dude, it's good enough for a demolition derby. It's all it's got left. And then you say, no, no, it's got more than that. And so you pull it into your garage and stick it on a hoist. You start taking that thing apart, all those rusted parts. And you start sanding those things down that you can preserve. And you find other parts because you know the essence of this vehicle can be a treasure. That you've seen it. Where other people see garbage and demolition derby material, you see a treasure. And so you put time and energy and devotion. You sacrifice other things so that this vehicle would not be destined to the demolition derby. But could one day, in the end of summer, cruise down streets of Royal Oak, up and down Woodward on a cruise. That's what the vision you have. In essence, Paul is saying to the church, you had a former ruler, and his goal for you, literally, was to condemn you to a demolition derby. And there were times where you thought, oh, that would be awesome. And so you, you pressed in. And you said, this is fine, this is great, I'll live according to that rule. But that's not who you are anymore. There's been this master restorer who has looked at you, of all the vehicles in the world, he's looked at you and said, there's a treasure there. And there's glory in that one. And I've pulled that one out, and I'm in this process of renewing, and I know you feel like all you're condemned to do is go back to a demolition derby. And maybe there's this this person in the neighborhood that would say, hey, I just want to let you know there's a demolition derby, and I saw that car in your garage. You just might want to do it. But, But the owner says, no, that's not what he's for. That's not what she's for. I have a treasure. I have a cruise. I have a journey this one is destined to take. And I don't know where you are in that journey. I just know that if you've accepted Jesus, then you have a master, an owner that said, I've got vision and I've got a plan. I've got a destiny for you. And it's a journey, but continue to stay in my hoist. Stay in my garage. Let me keep refining you. And I know there's temptations to head out there and start clobbering another vehicle, but that's not what you're designed for. Now I have a destiny for you. And I have a cruise for you to take with me. So hang in there. Consider yourselves dead to the demolition and alive to the cruise. Dead to the king of sin and alive to the king of life. That's who you are. And every day, you embrace the truth of the gospel that his death and resurrection satisfied your payment. The title has been signed. It's been submitted. You are his And his destination for you is life. So every day, remind yourself of that title. Remind yourself of that destiny. And present your life as an instrument for rightness. And you'll find that your relationship with your family will change. You'll find that you'll experience joy on the job. You'll find that the way you handle pressures and suffering and difficulties in life will be transformed. And you'll see your life become more and more and more like the classic car restored to its glory intended to be. Father, I pray 
that you would grant to us that commitment to be all that you've called us to be. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking there's a demolition derby out there that really has something to offer. Lord, I pray that we'd be found faithful every day, even as we leave our building here, Lord, that we would leave with that understanding that we've been chosen by a king, the one that's the best at restoring, the one who's never lost anyone that's been brought to him, the one that has secured our eternal destiny. I pray that we would live for him, presenting ourselves to you. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's just been wondering if they should give their lives to you, if it's worth it. I pray in this moment, Lord, they would, they would turn their hearts to you. If they would present themselves to you. Lord, placing their faith in the work of Jesus, who once and for all purchased our redemption. Lord, we ask that your spirit flows through us that you empower us. There's difficult days, we admit. Temptation is strong. The old way of reacting to people that speak against us, it's such an allurement. Lord, I pray that you would find that rightful place in our hearts, that you would rule and reign so that what comes out of us would be the Holy Spirit that you've placed in us. So rule in us, we pray, dear Father. We continue to pray. We continue to think and process this as we join together in singing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.